Yo, everybody. Welcome to Talking with Apple's podcast, where we talk about everything mobile development. I'm your host, Apple's Pajapples, or just PJ. And on this episode of Talking with Apple's, we talk about Jetpack Compose. Let's get straight into it. So welcome back to another episode of Talking with Apple's. Today we have Sean, he's a developer advocate at Google on the Android team, and we're going to be talking about Jetpack Compose, something that's super exciting. Uh, welcome, Sean. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to uh, talk about Jetpack Compose and all the things that came out last week with the Alpha. Yeah, talking about Alpha, um, yeah, Jetpack Compose um, hit Alpha, which has been great. Um and there's been a whole bunch of, it's been developed in the open, which has really been awesome for us to kind of like see what's happening um, with this new Jetpack Compose thing um, that, that's been out there. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, I haven't tried Jetpack Compose up until like maybe like four days ago um, because <laughs> I just thought like this thing is in development mode. So I'm kind of not going to like really like play around with it until I can really dig deep and say, okay, cool, like I can actually integrate this into my application. But mm -hmm. besides that, I wanted to start off with um, maybe speaking a little bit about what Compose is, Jetpack Compose, because maybe our audience that don't know what Jetpack Compose is and where it comes from. Um, so maybe we can start off with that and we can, um, and we can move on from there. Yeah, yeah. So at the at the very highest level, uh, Jetpack Compose is a new UI toolkit from the Android team at Google. Uh, so uh, UI toolkit is is basically the thing that displays text, buttons. Uh, if you draw like a background and a view, all that stuff's UI toolkit. Uh, so we're making a new UI toolkit uh, to kind of help us uh, address some technical debt and also uh, work better in. Uh, in you know, kind of the sort of design paradigms that people use to build modern applications. Uh, so when we built this new UI toolkit, uh, we focused on making it declarative, uh, and we also focused on making it kind of uh, work with the kind of architectures, the, the top-down or unidirectional data flow architectures uh, that people work with today in today's applications. Okay, um, that's really, really cool because um, but but what is what is the difference between these two? Um, because we have this old UI toolkit and we have the new UI toolkit that we're developing. Um, what kind of makes it uh, different from the one that we already have that we know and love for the last 10, 11 years of Android? Um, mm -hmm. Well, why did we actually, why are we getting a new UI toolkit? Yeah, so as I mentioned, um, so it's declarative. Uh, so that's something that we'll, we'll talk more about, I'm sure, throughout this podcast. Yeah. Um, it's also built uh, you know, in and for Kotlin. Um, so a lot of the kind of, edges that you find in the current UI toolkit when you're using Kotlin, especially around like nullability or maybe lambdas that uh, have to be expressed with, you know, object invocations and stuff like that, um, kind of like are a lot uh, more seamless in a Kotlin, uh, a Kotlin designed uh, API toolkit like this. Um, another big one, uh, and this one's like a little bit more, more subtle. Uh, if you look at kind of the performance characteristics of the current UI toolkit, uh, Inflating and creating views is is relatively expensive, uh, and so we we go through like a lot of work to deal with this. Like we built this whole recycler view thing, um, and we all use it. We all love it. It gets the job done. Um, yeah. But it's it's all basically uh, a big a big thing that we built to avoid making new views. Um, and so in Compose, we kind of sat down from the very beginning and was like, we're like, uh, hey, let's try to make uh, let's try to make it so it's cheaper to make views. 
so we can do a little bit more closer to the natural uh, designs that we want to write. Um, and they'll be performant enough that we can actually put them on screen and actually put them in users' hands. Uh, so that's uh, one of the big differences. Um, I mean, there's so much uh, so much uh, cleanup that happened at the same time. A lot of kind of the APIs of the UI toolkit uh, describe UIs in like the snapshot in time of 2009. Um, and, uh, you know, things like Spinner don't exist anymore. Uh, so, you know, like there's a, a lot of just opportunity for cleanup like that at the same time. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, kind of like all around. There's like a lot of good things. Um, another big area that we did focus on as well is uh, we focus on, you know, with the alpha launch, creating a rich set of material components. Uh, so built into uh, Jetpack Compose is a material subsystem uh, that just implements the entire material design specification uh, so that you can kind of use it out of the box. If you want a material button, uh, you can get one. If you want a material edit text, you can get one. Uh, and that's baked into the UI toolkit. Um, so uh, the other area that's really cool that I'm very excited about is uh, animations as well. Uh, so there's just like, I mean, I, the whole the whole thing, I mean, it covers like a whole UI toolkit, but uh, animations is, uh, is really exciting because we, from the very beginning, have focused on building like a coherent animation system into the core layers of the uh, Jetpack Compose toolkit. Uh, and then uh, we're now starting to build kind of higher level primitives like uh, animated visibility for fading things in and out and sliding them at the same time. Uh, and and you know, building these kind of like high-level animation tools, uh, and they're built on top of these low-level primitives that we've uh, kind of flowed through the entire toolkit. Okay, yeah. So you you actually mentioned a, a few things there that are really important, and I think I, I think maybe we should deep dive into a little bit of that. Um, the the first one is this declarative style um, of UI. So I think um, looking at looking at a bunch of um, uh, other development tools out there. There, a lot of people are taking this declarative approach, this uh, functional or reactive programming approach to the way they develop um, applications these days. Um, and the, I see, obviously, within Compose, the Compose is kind of going uh, down the same um, path. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that uh, Kotlin also helps and powers that quite a bit. Um, can you speak mm -hmm. a little bit about this declarative style? Why, why declarative? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I would say, like, I'm like honestly, declarative is kind of an industry-wide trend at this point. Like, uh, if you if you look yeah. at like uh, if you look at like new UI toolkits, uh, they're they're declarative. What what does that even what does that actually mean? Um, yeah. So uh, so declarative uh, as a word uh, in in kind of the computer science computer engineering land where uh, we're in uh, describes uh, when you use a programming uh, API uh, where instead of describing how you want to do something, you describe what you want done, um, and then uh, some sort of framework or some sort of subsystem is responsible for figuring out how to go from what you want done to the actual mechanics of how to do it. Um, so like a really classic example of what declarative is, is SQL. Um, so SQL is this, uh, this thing that we all, we all know, you know, select star from, you know, table. Uh, and so like, you never like actually say like iterate over all the rows of that table and do a projection yeah. and then join that with this B tree over there. Uh, you don't, you don't say how to do all that stuff. You just say, I want these things. And then it's, it's the SQL engine's job to figure out how to actually do that. Um, and if it works, you can just move on. And if it doesn't, you can do a little optimization. Um, so that's, that's like a really good example of, of a declarative language. Um, so when we kind of like apply that to UI toolkits, uh, what we're saying is um, instead of kind of describing um, the the entire update loop for uh, for a, a bud like a text view, right? So instead of saying like uh, I'm going to have a text view, I'm going to set text on it, um, and I'm maybe. <laughs> 
maybe going to put an on click listener on this text view because I'm making a fake button. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> I'm going to like describe all these things uh, through this imperative model. Um, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I would like some view to show on screen that looks like this and has this on click listener. I'm going to describe all of that. Uh, and then it's the UI toolkit's responsibility to figure out how to update the screen to get that view onto the screen. Um, so that's that's in, in its core what this declarative model means. Um, so it basically like lets you describe what you want on the screen, uh, and then the UI toolkit is responsible for figuring out how to actually how to actually get it there uh, at the very highest level. Okay, and and that obviously means that um, components would work a lot differently um, from a um, let's say an imperative model to a declarative model. The way we the way we do describe our components um, when we're actually developing, that will also look a lot different um, um, when we're actually developing our applications um, for mm -hmm. this new, let's say, compose engine in order for it to, to actually then take that, that code and then um, display it to the user. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the big one of the big differences that uh, that comes out of this is uh, so when we have like this edit text that we had before this text view, um, both of these are stateful UI controls. Uh, so the text view has a set text method on it where you can you can set some text and and what that does is it actually sets like m text field value, uh, which is uh, mm -hmm. probably a uh, you know some sort of care sequence, uh, and then that causes the the view to invalidate and then it re-renders. And that's like fundamentally how the imperative view system works is internal to every component, there's a little bit of state of some kind. Uh, even even the, the on-click listener is, is state. Uh, it's a variable inside of the, the text field component. Um, and so uh, you basically, you create one of these often through XML, uh, which is a declarative way of describing UIs, uh, the XML is. Uh, but then once you get it into code, then you switch over to this imperative thing where you start uh, you know, going in there and setting and updating and setting and updating these various states uh, throughout the execution of your program. Um, when we move over to the declarative approach, uh, we we kind of take all of that state out of those those UI elements. Um, so the text view version in uh, it's called text in in compose uh, doesn't have that m text field value uh, inside of it. Um, it also doesn't have m on click listener inside of it. Um, instead, what happens is you kind of say, um, I would like a text view, um, and here's the text that it's going to be, um, and it's just a parameter to a function, um, and here's an on click listener for it. If you wanted to do something like that, um, and uh, that's just a parameter to a function, uh, and then you compose different elements together uh, in order to uh, accomplish drawing the the final UI there. Um, but each one of those components is itself uh, is itself not actually stateful. It's it's just getting driven by these function calls uh, that are saying, "I would like a text field uh, that draws this text and uh, maybe has this on click listener as well." Uh, so okay. that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the big difference between these two uh, from like a, a implementation level. Yeah, and I think I think it might be a little bit difficult um, for let's say our listeners to mm -hmm. be able to visualize this because it's a little bit different. And um, when you're actually when you're listening to someone talk about it versus um, actually writing the code, so I think obviously going to try out Compose um, after this podcast, of course, um, would be a, would be great. Um, but something that you also mentioned was around performance. So, mm -hmm. so what are what are the um, performance benefits um, that Compose mm -hmm. brings into Android applications? Um, because I mean, we still have to deal with the JVM and all of this stuff. And like, um, is there any kind of like benefits um, that Compose is bringing into um, um, performance? Is there there parts of Compose that are maybe lacking in performance? Um, 
maybe build times. I know as an Android developer, um, build times are like um, the fate of all of our existence. Um, we do like drinking coffee, um, but I know like, um, yeah, that, that's just something that we that we always wanted to be faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. So does Compose, does Compose bring that um, bring bring that world together, the performance and um, this new UI toolkit that you're building? Yeah, yeah. So Compose, uh, so... Uh... To actually use Compose, you have to use uh, the Compose uh, uh, compiler extension, right? So it's a Kotlin compiler extension, um, and it works with this new annotation, Composable. Um, and what it does, it's very similar to uh, actually the Coroutines compiler extension, uh, where it it kind of like rewrites the way certain functions work. Uh, and those are the functions that are annotated with at Composable uh, to kind of build in the behaviors of <clears throat> this declarative UI uh, behavior that we're talking about earlier. Um, so like... Uh, that uh, that does give us kind of huge performance wins over doing the same thing with sort of annotation processing. Um, and it also allows us to get some pretty large performance wins over doing the same thing at a purely runtime. Uh, so what the Compose compiler is capable of doing is uh, determining whether something is able to be skipped, uh, which basically means that uh, like I'm going to be updating the screen because uh, you know you have some new data come in and we need to update the screen. Um, and it's able to kind of intelligently recompose or figure out just which parts of the UI uh, might actually have changed based on this u- new data. Uh, and then it's able to like actually skip all of the like rendering code and all of the layout code and even all of the composition code uh, for the rest of the screen. Uh, so that's one area where we're actually able to get some really nice uh, performance advantages. Um, and all of that's able to be done, uh, determined uh, via static compiler checks, uh, and then you know put into the emitted uh, functions. Uh, the When it comes to runtime performance compose, um, right now we're kind of in this interesting place, like we're right at alpha. Uh, so most of the time we're fairly competitive with the UI toolkit. Uh, sometimes we're a bit faster, sometimes we're a bit slower. Um, and performance is an area where we're actively uh, actively working on. Uh, the, the kind of goal uh, for uh, where we want to be is as fast as the current UI toolkit in all situations. Um, and we're, no, we're not there yet. Um, that's something where we're, uh, we're still working on that. Um, and then the other part of your question was build times. Uh, so we kind of expect build times are going to be about the same uh, as you know using you know XML and AAPT something something like in the same order of magnitude. Um, maybe just a slight increase uh, for a full build. Uh, uh, but then at the same time, we're also working on a bunch of different things that are improving build times across the board. Uh, so the new IR backend for Kotlin uh, is uh, this is something that JetBrains is working on. Um, is supposed is supposed to help us build improve build times. Um, and we're also working on a lot of improvements inside of Gradle and Android Studio uh, to make incremental compilation just more intelligent, faster, uh, and able to like you know get, uh, bite off smaller chunks of work uh, and actually uh, get the get the screen updated faster when you just want to change one class file. Because um, like it, it, you know what that's what we really want to do is have this REPL loop go go fast. Yeah, and I mean and I mean when looking at um, compose. Um, when I was playing around with it, the, I, I definitely felt like there was a, a very big increase in my development time because I didn't have to always build um, mm-hmm. the, the actual app all the time. I could literally see my view. And this kind of brings me into the Android Studio world um, of Compose where there's this new preview um, on kind of like within Android Studio where when you're building composable um, screens, 
you can pretty much see the UI on your screen, like while you're actually developing, um, which is really, really great. Um, how did you guys manage to get that right? Like, because that I, I definitely, I definitely think that that's something that's um, super awesome where you can actually just, you don't have to run the app every single time um, when you're actually developing it and you can change values and whatever. And I think it's kind of the same as um, the, the, the UI design that the constraint um, thing has. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's still, it's still really, really great because the thing is you're now writing the code and it's not the XML that's um, being reflected. Um, anything mm-hmm. that you're writing code is being reflected also, um, mm-hmm. which is really, really awesome. Can you chat a little bit around that and how that works? Um, yeah, I think, well, I think so like, let's, uh, let's talk about how that came to be. Uh, yeah, I think that, yeah. that's actually really interesting. Um, so that, that actually comes out of like a um, long, long time ago, very beginning of Compose. Uh, we were exploring, uh, we were exploring hot reload. Uh, sorry, sorry, there's a forest fire here today. So I'm like pausing to like clear my throat occasionally. Um, so we were exploring hot re- reload and uh we, we kind of realized there's this core use case of Hot Reload where you're working on like a single composable or you're working on maybe a, a small section of a screen or even an entire screen. Um, where what you do, like when you're actually working with a Hot Reload type system is you make just a little toy, uh, you know, composable, uh, and then you run just that one. And you, and you do like a Hot Reload of just one single little preview thing. Um, and as we realized, as we thought about the Android Studio developer experience, we realized, you know, in Android Studio, we're all in this rich IDE that's capable of doing, you know, pretty pretty interesting things. Um, what if we brought that experience of like working on a single composable or working on, uh, you know, a collection, small section of the screen uh, into Android Studio? And that's uh, where kind of the inception of this preview idea came from. Uh, it, it kind of like, it grew from what is the common use case uh, for hot reload type situations uh, inside of, uh, inside of uh, a development workflow. Uh, and, and this is actually proven to be like really kind of like a really good idea, uh, something that we've been really excited <laughs> about and like kept building into uh, as we as we kind of played with it. Uh, because what what happens with preview? Uh, so this is this uh, thing you can do. It's another annotation from the Compose framework. Uh, you can make a, a a function. It's a composable function. It's at preview. And what that does is it says uh, when you open this file in Android Studio. Uh, display this preview in Android Studio. Um, and what it's going to do is it's going to actually run some Kotlin code in a sandbox uh, virtual uh, virtual execution environment. Um, it's going to run the Kotlin code for your composable, uh, and it's going to render that all in a format that Android Studio can display. Um, so it's actually not like running an emulator or anything like that. It's actually running running your composable code in Android Studio and then drawing them in Android Studio, uh, which is really really cool. Uh, because what happens is you you kind of you build maybe a file full of your your, your different button types for your business logic or whatever. Uh, so you have like my app button one, my app button two, and so forth. And then you drop the previews for those buttons down at the bottom of the file. So whenever you open this file, you get this like beautiful like explanation of what's in this file uh, that just pops up right. Right away and displays for you uh, just like a really quick summary of like here's the four different button types. I'm trying to edit the green one, so I'm going to go ahead and click on that in the preview. That's going to take me over to the button declaration um, and let me kind of like do this interactive development. Um, then the the other side of that, then when I edit the button, um, I'm able to kind of get a quick turnaround on just that one little component of my application. Right? If I edit the colors of my green button, I really first I want to check like what color is the green button. So the first thing 
thing I want to do is just like rebuild just that one little button, run that button and, and see what it looks like. Uh, and then I want to take it, you know, a step out and start looking at it inside of screens. Um, so it lets you kind of like focus down uh, and design UI elements in this really small mode without having to build like an entire integration with your, your whole application and, and so forth. Um, so another thing that we found with Preview is we found that um, once we developed this Preview thing, uh, we had this uh, this ability to display in Android Studio. We could also uh, render previews, or sorry, just uh, deploy previews to the device. Um, so you can actually take a preview of a screen, or a preview of a button, or a preview of anything really, um, and you can take it and say, like, I actually want to see what this looks like in real Android. I don't want to use this uh, this preview uh, uh, drawing mode here. Um, I want to take this over to real Android, uh, and I want to display. Uh, this entire preview screen um, on the device. And this is fantastic when you're kind of working in this iterative mode where you're designing the UI for a screen. Um, and specifically, you're working on the UI. You're not like working on where the data comes from or any of that part. Uh, you can just sit there and iterate and redeploy the same screen to the same device over and over again. You don't have to navigate through your hierarchy. Um, you don't have to like you know, build large mock data structures and like wire them in and so forth. Um, you just have this preview is the, uh, the starting point for that screen. And it's just the thing you deploy to your device. Yeah, and I think that's really, really cool because I mean, if, you're, if you've been doing like any kind of like app development, you'd normally go through, you'd be like, okay, cool. I'm maybe you're building a custom view um, and now you're, you're doing everything in code. There's no XML layout maybe or something like that and you're building this custom thing with some animations and you actually want to see how it actually works. Um, and now you pretty much need to run the application, get to like five screens deep into the application. Maybe you have some login that you still need to do. Um, and then you need to get to the specific point where you're like, okay, cool. Now I can actually see if this thing works. <laughs> oh, it doesn't work. It's not what I wanted. Or oh, it's two seconds to the animation, is two <laughs> seconds too long or whatever. So like, um, the, this is really, really cool. The, the preview thing is really, really amazing. And I think you can even interact with some of the, um, the previews themselves. And I'm not sure if I saw that. Yeah, that's something we're, we're experimenting with. Um, and it's in um, Android Studio 4.2 Canary. Uh, well, it's definitely in Canary 8. Um, I'm, Canary, I'm not sure yeah. what, what actually went out. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, the... Um, so what this is, it's an interactive mode for a preview. So as I was describing how preview works, it basically makes a little you know, virtual sandbox for, for your code to execute. And then it actually runs your Kotlin code um, in order to, to draw the, the components, the composables that you've described. Um, what interactive preview does is it allows that to like do the whole uh, UI update loop from compose. Uh, so when you click on buttons, you can see the ripple effect. Um, and what the kind of limitations of interactive preview are uh, is because it's all this virtual, you know, sandboxed environment. Um, you can't read from file or network or something like that. Uh, so it has kind of this like firm bounds where it can only do stuff where you're drawing on the screen. Um, but uh, other than that, it's really just a Kotlin execution environment. Um, so that's it's actually really like really really nice for exploring uh, simple you know state situations like uh, a ripple effect, which is implemented using state, for example. Okay, that's really really cool. And I think and and even just speaking, I think you, you kind of spoke you speaking about state and all of that. And I'm just thinking around the the Android lifecycle. So just kind of like segueing to the Android lifecycle mm -hmm. or activity lifecycle and fragment lifecycle. Um, how does that work now with with Compose um, and Compose, um, let's say screens or um, mm -hmm. do we still have the the lifecycle that we need to go through? Um, how, how does that work now? Um, is there a different composable lifecycle um, that we might need to go through? Um, and like, 
um, to to actually get to a point where we um, we're rendering the things on screen. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like um, how does that work? This this question has the potential for a four hour long answer, uh, but uh, <laughs> but let me uh, let me let me preface with um, everything I'm going to say is valid at alpha, uh, and yeah. uh, this is this is one area where I would expect some changes between alpha and stable. Um, so I just mm -hmm. want to like preface that. Uh, so when someone listens to this podcast in in eight months, um, go, <laughs> go check go check the docs and see what see what they say. Um, but right now, um, compose doesn't really modify the activity or fragment life cycle. Um, so uh, the way the way that you actually get compose into uh, an activity or fragment is uh, you you basically uh, give a view to compose uh, a compose view um, and you you say uh, this the rendering of this view is compose's responsibility. So this is just a regular Android view sitting inside of a regular Android activity or or fragment. Um, and uh, then compose goes and, and runs uh, you know the, it's it's drawing update loop. Uh, and it basically just paints inside of this this Android view that you've given it. Um, so that's kind of the the core idea of like how how Compose gets into kind of the the activity. Uh, so as a result of that, it doesn't really change the activity lifecycle at all, right? So the activity lifecycle is still the activity lifecycle. Um, the fragment lifecycle is still the fragment lifecycle, and Compose sits underneath those lifecycles, right? So when the activity gets you know you know rotated and it does its whole uh, clearing itself out on, on configuration change. Um, it's also clearing compose out on configuration changes. Um, so, so that's like kind of the, the, the highest level, like, uh, the activity and fragment life are still there. Uh, once you're inside compose though, um, you probably don't want a situation where, uh, the current tab of the screen gets, uh, you know, forgotten every single time the user, uh, you know, rotates the phone, because that would be a, a really bad UX. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's like, that's yeah. not, that's not, what the developer or the users are expecting from us. Um, so we actually have a, a save state, uh, you know, composable function that we built into the Compose library, um, which uh, basically lets you uh, create some state that automatically gets saved uh, using um, using you know the save state bundle in, up in the activity or fragment. Uh, so this is basically like a really nice API to say like, here's my, my current tab. And also when I come back to this composable after the device rotates, I really want to still keep that tab around. Um, and it, it's a, it's a really nice clean API, uh, too, compared to some of our previous save state. Um, it's very much for like a simple integer like that. It's very much just a one liner use save state and then pass it the current tab value. Um, the, uh, does compose have its own life cycle? Uh, the answer to that is, is. Uh, composable functions do have a life cycle. Uh, it's not as um, like important um, as the the activity or the fragment life cycle. Um, in in kind of the same way. And what I mean by that is the composable function life cycle doesn't like drive the behavior of composables. It describes the behavior of composables. Um, so composable functions can enter. Uh, they can like be added to the tree, um, and they can leave. Uh, and then there's this other thing that they can do, which is uh, when you actually do that updating of the screen thing, um, this recomposition thing, uh, you can commit the composable functions to. So the, the full life cycle for a composable function is it enters, uh, so it's going to actually be added to the composition tree. Uh, then it's going to repeatedly be uh, committed, which means that it's been updated and the changes have been applied to the composition tree. Uh, and then it will eventually at some point leave the composition tree or be disposed. Uh, and so it's really a descriptive uh, a descriptive life cycle of what is this composable doing uh, you know through the various phases of it existing um, and you can like put some hooks in there to kind of respond to those events and do appropriate things in response to them
Okay, that's really, really cool. Um, I didn't actually know that because I, w- I was trying to kind of like figure it out. I was like, so how is this thing actually like drawing stuff on the screen? And then when, when I actually, I, could, I, I realized that I could actually put a composable view um, inside of an activity and just say um, set content view as the composable. And I was like, this is really, really cool um, because then you don't need the XML anymore. You just kind of create these composable um, views, um, which is really, really great. And then I also found um, something because I did try rotate the screen um, and then it kind of like almost like exploded. And I was like, hmm, what's happening here? Um, and it kind of still redrew, redrew everything. Um, and mm-hmm. I was like, there must be obviously a way. And like you mentioned, we have um, kind of like a safe instant state. Um, but I also found um, while looking through the docs, there was this whole remember, um, this remember mm-hmm. Lambda um, that mm-hmm. that was pretty interesting because I was like, where does this come from? Um, this is like not something that's really been in Android before. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's like it's something that we bring into Compose. So maybe um, we can chat a little bit about um, how Remember maybe came about or um, and what it is, uh, maybe because people don't know about it, um, because I think it's something new for um, the latest alpha. Um, I don't know if it's been in previous versions of Compose. Um, like, uh, But yeah, maybe you can chat a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um so t- to understand remember um kind of like let's 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 take it a little bit apart because we're a longer form podcast here. Um yeah. so the way that uh the way that recomposition works is um like I have this this kind of tree of composables I alluded to in the last answer. Um and basically what uh what happens is is I get some new data and that was originally passed as parameters or uh, via some other mechanism into these these composables in this tree. And what recomposition means is to rerun those composables over again. Um, it literally just means like, I'm gonna call the text composable, uh, but now I'm gonna say, you know, hello instead of hi. Uh, and that's going to you know, trigger all of the code of the text composable that needs to happen to update the screen. Um, and that 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 pattern applies all the way up, right? So when we were talking about that tab view, um, when I'm saying like I want to draw the new screen for the tabs, I have like a tab screen, and I'm maybe passing in the the current tab to that. Uh, and instead of passing zero, now I'm passing one, and that's going to change which tab displays is selected. It's going to run different code, uh, and then it's actually going to call a, a completely different like screen content composable for the different tab. Um, and so like that's kind of like the way this recomposition process works overall. Uh, what you probably noticed as I was talking about that is I kept talking about like recalling functions. Uh, so if I'm recalling functions and I'm trying to like keep track of something like, like the current tab state, um, this is going to be a problem, right? Because functions don't have any idea of memory uh, really at all. Uh, it's just like that's one of the, the core core parts of functions uh, from like structured programming, like way, way, way back in like the 60s and 70s. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so like what what Compose has done is because it's designed; these functions are designed to be used in this very specific way. They're designed to be used in this updating uh, recomposition context. Um, they've added this idea of memory to functions. Uh, so what I can do is I can use remember to say uh, when this function gets called at this particular place in the tree, uh, give me a, a piece of memory, a place to store a single object. Uh, and uh, next time I recompose, next time this re-execution happens, um, give me that same value I stored last time. So it's a little, it's a little piece of memory that you can use to store just a single object. Uh, 
Um, and then you can, you can from that uh, build, uh, you can actually put like a stateful object. Like uh, maybe you can think like a live data in there, um, or we have a type in Compose called state, um, but you can put an object that you're capable of updating, uh, you know, the value of in there. And then now you basically stored some state. And that's what I would use to build kind of this tab situation where uh, I want to be able to edit the tab. I want to be able to say, go to tab one, go to tab two. Uh, and then that's going to drive the update of the screen. But if recomposition happens, I don't want to like throw all of that value away. Um, I want it to, I want it to, to be remembered across recompositions. Okay. Yeah. That's really, that's actually a great example because I mean, yeah, you kind of just, this thing keeps like, it will redraw and redraw. Um, and you kind of just want it to be like, okay, cool. Remember this part of, you can even just remember certain parts of the screen, um, let the rest redraw, which is really cool. Um, so that, that was, that's, that was something that I found really, really interesting. Um, and then just kind of like talking around like the different components. So like Compose obviously isn't, like you said, it's a new UI toolkit um, and it's obviously going to have its own component. So um, a text view um, might just be just text um, in mm -hmm. Compose. Um, but I mean, we, we, we have been spoiled um, in the Android world by with many, many different components to make really, really complex screens. Um, mm -hmm. um, so... Are all are all of these components that like like you like recycler view um, and all our material chips and all of those types of things is everything kind of available in Compose already um, or is that something that is going to be more of a staggered approach in terms of maybe mm -hmm. when we hit when we hit stable um, we'll have a certain amount of components and then maybe um, Compose um, version one point five will mm -hmm. then get all the other components. Um, well, is is maybe it's all there already? Um, um, yeah, we maybe talk around about the components themselves. Yeah, yeah. So I want to actually take a, a different tact in this answer. Um, like when you're using when you're using Compose, uh, don't feel like you're constrained by the components we've given you. Um, like this is like a big message I actually want to talk about when I talk about components in Compose. Um, yeah. We're going to ship uh, a core set of components. We're going to ship uh, it, it with 1.0. We're going to ship uh, a material set of components, uh, and then we're also going to have this foundation set of components, uh, which is like even lower level than than the core components, uh, and. Uh, all, all three of these APIs are things that, depending on what you're doing, you should feel like are things that you should reach out for. Um, so if if you want to build like a custom text input uh, box uh, that follows like some very bespoke design that your designer came up with, uh, with like you know some interesting you know animations, maybe some background changes, that sort of thing. Um, go right ahead and use the core text component, uh, text field component, um, or even go further down and go down to the foundation component um, if you find that the core text field one is wrapping up too much and you're not getting the performance you want. Um, and, and Compose is very much designed in this layered fashion. Um, it's it's the intention of Composables, uh, of Compose, is that you're going to kind of compose these elements together. Um, but one of the one of the like hidden messages there is you're also going to compose them together and build your own new Composables. Um, so that's kind of the the big idea. Um, there, of course, there's some of them that are harder to build than others. Um, so like view pager, recycler view, uh, these things are uh, things that I think the average application would not want to be implementing from scratch uh, because it's just like, it's too much code. Um, so uh, right now we have a view, a recycler view kind of early stages in there. Um, and it's called like lazy column four, lazy row four. Um, and then we currently don't have view pager. Uh, that's something that's that's going to come after alpha. Uh, and we have some like other missing components there. Um, but yeah, the, the big takeaway I really want to say is like when you, especially when you think in terms of like uh, things like a chip, 
uh, feel very, very comfortable building something like that on your own and making a nice reusable composable uh, because that is is fundamentally the design of the system is uh, is that you're allowed to go do that. You're allowed to go make your own custom chip um, and you might, you know, work with a designer. You might make one that looks completely different than the one we might make. Uh, maybe it like cuts off the top right corner or something like that. Um, and that's totally okay. Uh, like we, we want to encourage that. Okay. And I mean... Um, something that I also found that was really cool, um, and speaking about um, components, is that you can actually still use components that you've written in XML in Compose mm -hmm. World and vice versa, um, mm -hmm. which is really, really cool. Um, that, that That's something that I I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about. It's like, okay, cool. Like, I want to use this Compose, but do I need to rewrite my full application? Um, or do I, well, do I have to start from scratch? Or can I just... Um, start using Compose today within my existing application? Um, can I utilize some custom views that we've created um, over the last five years we've been building this application? We have all these cool custom views and we don't mm -hmm. really want to make Compose versions of them. Um, we just kind of want to, but we really want to use Compose. Like, can we actually use that? Um, so yeah, like um, Compose is really, really cool for that. Um, uh, yeah. Really, really well in that also. Yeah, I think so. Like from the very beginning, that was something that we identified as um, there, there's kind of like two two API design considerations, like this natural tension in, in the design of Compose, actually, that I'll, I'll, I'll talk about here. Um, there's one like we, we've identified some things like maybe theming and styles that like we want to we want to get better than, than we did last time. Um, like, I think if you ask the Android develop, average Android developer, they're a little confused by our current theming and styling system. I, I personally am a little confused by our current theming and styling system. <laughs> um, and like, and that's, that's okay. That's something we want. We, we do want to make better. And so like, there's this natural tension there's this natural like drive to be like all right let's make a clean cut let's let's make a, a new api no references to the old system let's make it better because the more references to the old system we make um the, the system you know the current ui toolkit uh the more references that we make uh the more we're going to bring that over uh because the design considerations of that system are going to like building the interop layer is going to uh cause us to have that have that problem um on the other hand, uh, you know, we also uh, respect the reality of, of the Android ecosystem. Like there are so many applications out there. So many of them are very beautiful. Some of them have so much uh, incredible code that's going on in them. Um, custom views or, um, you know, views that come from, uh, you know, a team other than yourself. Uh, maybe you don't control like one section of a screen for some reason, um, but you do control the top level tabs and the first two views in it or something like that. Uh, there's so many different situations where uh, a Android developers are going to have to, you know, work with large existing real code bases uh, that are written in the view system. Uh, and they're going to want to bring Compose into that. So to, to kind of address that, there's Two, two dimensions of interoperability for Compose. One, you can embed Compose into an existing screen. So for example, um, you can take just one tab of a view pager and swap that thing out for Compose, and that will work just fine. Um, or you could take and swap out a recycler view for a Compose list, but keep the, the collapsing toolbar and the rest of the screen the same. Um, so there's like a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity in that area, um, and then simultaneously, once you're in Compose, uh, sometimes you're going to want to use you know your really awesome custom views or your custom view that makes you a lot of money or like whatever whatever the uh, whatever the motivation is. Um, but you, you're going to need to be able to use that, and, um, and so we from the very beginning thought, um, how do we build it so that uh, you can easily just drop back over to an Android view from Compose. Um, so that interrupt story is from the very beginning intentionally designed to allow both of those use cases very well.
Okay. Yeah, and I think I think I think that's great because I think it will also allow a lot of Android developers to ease in to the Compose world a lot better instead of saying going to their product owner and saying or, or product manager and saying, "Cool, can we just rewrite like this whole massive part of the application with Compose?" Um, or <laughs> we need to rewrite the whole app because we're falling behind um, in Android and modern Android development. So we just need to rewrite this whole thing in Compose. So I think interoperability is really, really um, um, important. And I think you touched on something that um, we, which is a little bit painful, um, which is the the theming um, within <laughs> Android. Um, and I see that, that that's also been changed a little bit. Um, so <laughs> with Compose, it works a little bit different. Um, it's it's not written in the XML files anymore. You mm -hmm. kind of have this this whole um, um, Kotlin file where you kind of like um, mm -hmm. say well what your what your theme is going to be for the application um, and mm -hmm. it's kind of like very based on material theme but you can kind of create your own custom themes and then I also saw that there's this um, theme adapter um, this I think it was called the theme the the compose theme adapter um, what does that do <laughs> I I do not know that component. Um, I, let me talk about theming uh, because uh, otherwise yeah. I'm just going to bumble about this composed theme adapter I, I am not familiar yeah. with. Um, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, the compose uh, composed theming. So currently, what we've built um, is is uh, uh, material theming. Um, so we've uh, we've exposed the colors to material. Um, we've exposed the topographies to material, um, and then we've integrated them with the material subsystem of Compose. Um, so, like taking a like a, a look back, I said that Compose has three different parts. We have foundation, we have core, and then we have material. Um, so the theming system built into Compose targets the material part of Compose. So when you use a material button or material edit text, it's going to pull colors and text uh, text attributes uh, text styles uh, from the themes that you define. Um, so what we did is we, we, we kind of transitioned those from being defined in uh, XML. Uh, they're now defined in Kotlin code. And this opens up like a lot of kind of interesting opportunities. Uh, for example, uh, you know, since it's Kotlin code, it's, it really is just Kotlin code running through the same composition system as we talked about for updating text or updating tabs. Uh, you can do things like update your theme values. Um, you can like literally have like, uh, you could go as far as like animating like your surface color. So it, you know, kind of changes between two colors over time. Um, or you could have it so that as the user switches screens, uh, maybe you change out some of the different colors uh, in your theme um, and animate between those things. Um, like there's actually like a lot of interesting uh, things that you can start building because we've moved the themes over to Kotlin. Um, then that said, uh, as you start building your own components, you can both use the material theming system that we've built, um, which is like a really good starting place. Uh, it, it does handle uh, like a large portion of the theming needs of an application. Um, and you can also start building out your own theming system. And that can be as simple as a couple constant fields somewhere in your application that define some colors um, to something as complex as what we built with material theme. And it'll depend entirely upon your needs. Um, I think bigger teams are probably gonna wanna build bigger theming systems uh, and smaller teams will probably just use, you know, a couple constants here and there, and that'll be big enough for what they need. Uh, and so that's uh, that's kind of like the the bigger answer on the think the theming system here. Okay, and then um, are, are you still able to kind of access um, like the resources that we that we've had in the old Android system? So if you have mm -hmm. a whole bunch of dimensions that your designers kind of given you before, and you have mm -hmm. a whole bunch of colors um, that they've that they've given you, um, and you kind of don't want to really rewrite all of this into this new Kotlin um, theming um, thing. 
um, can you pretty much still use um, all those resources, um, maybe vector resources and all of that in your composable view? Um, or do you have to actually have this, this theme, um, this new theming system um, as part of your application? Uh, so yes, you can, you can load resources. Uh, so you can load oh, all of the resources. <laughs> you can load colors, you can load, um, I guess you could load styles, but I'm not sure exactly what they would mean um, in Compose. Uh, but you can load you can load dimensions. You can load uh, uh, you know all of the things that you're you're currently using um, in in your Android application um, in Compose. Um, then uh, so like if you're building a screen and you want like dimension uh, padding normal or something like that, um, you can go ahead and reach for that. Um, you can also build uh, so, but you don't have to like stop there. You don't have to like be like, okay, I'm gonna like get the get the dimension every single time I'm there. Uh, you can also then like take that and then like wrap that up into like some sort of like uh, you know composable function getter uh, that grabs you the padding normal uh, so that you get like you know a nice clean API at your call site there. Um, so like it's compose really is just Kotlin code. So you can follow all of the practices you would in Kotlin to kind of like clean up your code and build abstractions that fit uh, the use cases that you're trying to accomplish. Um, the other thing uh, that I, I would go back to, you asked like, do I need the new theming system? And the answer is if you're using the material subsystem, uh, yes, or you're going to get a purple button with uh, with white <laughs> text on it. Uh, so uh, so if, if you don't want a purple button, uh, you do need to specify a material theme uh, while you're using the material components in Compose. Um, but you can, you, you can actually build uh, build that using your existing resources. Um, and in fact, we, we recommend keeping a single source of truth there um, because obviously you don't want to be duplicating uh, two color uh, uh, lavenders in your application or something like that. You want, you want that to be defined in one place. And if your app is mostly written using colors.xml, that place should probably be colors.xml. Um, so what you would do there is you can either use uh, the material design uh, components adapter that Chris has built, uh, which allows you to kind of import a material design components theme into Compose and drop out a material design components theme that's Compose styled. Um, or you can just build that yourself. You can just take and say like, I need to define a material theme and I need all these colors and I can just grab the colors uh, that I need in order to set up the material theme. Um, so I'm still kind of copying like which color goes into which slot in the material theme, um, but I'm not actually like duplicating my color values anywhere. Um, so that's kind of like the, the the longer answer there is, yes, you do need uh, a material theme in Compose, uh, but you can actually reference back to your XML to build it. Okay, that's cool. Because um, I mean, I, I did I did actually see um, one of the samples that you guys um, put out um, with with the alpha release. I saw that there was an application where it wasn't actually built with Material at all, um, mm -hmm. and I think I think that was intentional, uh, maybe mm -hmm. to maybe show that um, you can you don't have to use Material. You can actually still use your own design system um, with Compose, um, which mm -hmm. is really really cool. Um, but I did notice that obviously. Material does seem like it's more of a first-class citizen um, mm -hmm. inside of Compose, which is really, really cool. Um, and I think I think people working off of that, I think a lot of people just use Material Design because there's a lot of great components in there um, mm -hmm. that, that that will just help them get to a, a place where everything is consistent um, across the board. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that I also found um, that I actually wanted to ask was fonts. So fonts was very interesting when I was playing around um, with Compose, because um, mm -hmm. for for some reason I couldn't figure out how to um, use the the dynamic fonts, the Google the Google dynamic fonts, where you can download the fonts at runtime. Mm. Um, how do you do that in Compose? Like, is that possible? Um, uh, mm -hmm. 
it's, this is a known issue. Um, so we don't we don't have like a nice seamless interop there, um, and we really should. Okay. Um, that that should be something where you just say like downloadable downloadable font composable. <clears throat> specify a fallback, um, specify the downloaded font. And, and that's all just, you know, a single composable over in your theme declaration. Um, yeah. and, and that, that has not been built yet. Um, so, okay. uh, the, the, the answer to, uh, what I think you want to do, um, is, is fairly, fairly complex right now, but basically, uh, <laughs> you can, <laughs> basically when you download the font, uh, it turns into a font resource. And then it, with a little bit of poking through source code, uh, you can build a thing that, and I quote works. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I, I would say, um, you know, your best bet is probably to wait for, uh, the downloadable theme compose or download downloadable font to composable to, uh, be shipped by the appropriate team. Okay. Well, yeah. I just I just thought that would be interesting, something interesting to talk about because um I was like, um, how do we get this font in here? And then I actually saw um I think one of the videos um mentioned something, but I was like, I didn't really understand how it works. I thought I'd just ask. Um, mm-hmm. and so if there is a way, there's a way. Um, we'll we'll definitely find it at some point. Maybe someone <laughs> will have an article on how to do it. Um, um, which will be cool. Um, but I, I kind of want to move on to um more around um, Android um, architecture components with Compose. So mm-hmm. um, obviously all the, there's, there's obviously all the architecture components like lifecycle, navigation, um, room and, or view model and all of that. Um, is there any kind of like seamless um, interaction between these? Um, so is, will there kind of be like an upgrade to these architecture components to work more seamlessly with Compose. So we, we were kind of talking about like how the UI kind of will like render um, based on some, mm-hmm. some data changing. Um, will, so will, will the architecture components kind of just like plug into this um, seamlessly um, and kind of have like this thing where maybe your live data, like you mentioned earlier on, is kind of like linked to a specific component and that component will know once live data is updated, it needs to update this specific um, text view um, or this button color needs to change or it needs to be disabled, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> so I don't think that, that was a real question. I, I kind of just said some stuff, but I don't know if I actually asked the question. Um, um, but yes, yeah, so, yeah. but the answer, the, the answer to the question, like will, will architecture components uh, or, or, Practically, uh, you know, whatever architecture you have in your app, work with Compose. Uh, the answer is yes. And let me like talk a little bit more about how I got to that answer. Um, so <laughs> the <laughs> um, so the from the very beginning, like architecture has been something that we've been um, very very we've had a lot of discussions about. Um, so one of the ways uh, that like uh, that this kind of works is basically we uh, we introduced a way to uh, observe uh, all of the different observable types that you might be using. Um, so we have RxJava2, we have uh, uh, state flow and flow, and then we have live data um, as built-in things in the Compose framework. Uh, so uh, whatever whatever observable type you're using, um, you should be able to find this. And if you've you know built your own observable type, uh, you can actually go look at the source code for those adapters because it's, it's honestly not long. It's like 15 lines of code long. Um, and you can just go mm-hmm. build one yourself for your own observable type. Um, and uh, the 
the the overall idea here is uh, for an architecture and compose is the way that you kind of model this whole thing is through unidirectional data flow. This is like from the very beginning, compose is designed for unidirectional data flow. Uh, so down in your UI, you generate some event, um, maybe a click event, um, something like that. A user inputs some text into an edit text or a text field. Uh, then you you generate that event and it goes up to the place uh, where you've hold, held the state. Um, so the the this place typically in an Android application today, um, if you follow the design uh, in the guide to app architecture, is a view model. Um, so that doesn't change in Compose. Uh, so you still you put that event and you send it up to a view model, um, and then that event's allowed to do processing at that point. Um, maybe it can write to a room database or whatever it wants to do, um, and then after the uh, processing is, is complete, um, it can update some state. Um, and when that happens, uh, the state update is written to an observable which is then passed down to Compose, and then Compose uh, basically observes that observable and registers for changes to that observable. And that's the primary driver for recomposition uh, in a Compose application with an architecture like this, uh, is observing the observables from something like a view model or uh, a similar architectural class if you're using a different architecture. Um, so this is like the, the, big, the big thing of Compose is designed from the very beginning to fit into these unidirectional data flow architectures where events go up and state goes down, um, and you rely heavily on these observables to go to the UI. Um, yeah, so the, the only uh, thing I would really kind of caveat there is if you're using MVP, um, uh, the, the view interface mm -hmm. in MVP uh, is really not an observable. Um, so if, you, if you're doing that, you're going to have to do something uh, to, to kind of make this all fit together. Um, one of the simplest things you can do is you can just introduce... Um, uh, if I could coin a term, a view model, um, which is like instead of <laughs> instead of writing straight to a view, um, you could write to a view model uh, instead, uh, and then the UI observes that view model instead of directly uh, trying to interact with that view interface. Um, it does change the MVP pattern a little bit, but the code changes are, are going to be relatively simple uh, in a in an actual MVP implementation. Uh, so that that's the one architecture to kind of like call out while we're having a, a longer discussion on this. Um, but if you look at like MVI, MVRX, uh, MVVM, if you look at Android architecture components, guide to app architecture, um, all of them have this kind of uh, observable architectural class that the UI just uh, responds to by redrawing the screen. Okay, and and will will that kind of work with um, Android binding quite well? Because um, I'm guessing Android binding will kind of uh, the binding library will kind of just like make this glue also happen. Um, I think it's called Android binding. Um, it's Android view binding? View binding, view binding, Android binding. Why am I saying Android binding? <laughs> view binding. So yeah, like view binding. So um, I'm guessing view binding will, will kind of also help this glue, um, glue all of that together. Because I mean, obviously we can do that with um, um, our view model into our XML and kind of like um, kind of like observe on those elements and kind of re um, set them to a certain um, element, um, variable within our view model. And we'll be mm -hmm. able to do exactly the same with, um, with Compose um, and Android well, I guess view binding. Um, I don't know. I'm saying Android, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different. You can kind of think about compose as um, uh, as a as a an, another version of view binding, but instead of having uh, two languages, um, you have one one language Kotlin throughout. 
Um, so it, it kind of gets rid of this like templating language. Well, actually three languages, sorry. Uh, Viewbinding has, uh, <laughs> has, has, you know, a templating language and XML language as well as, as Kotlin or, or Java. Um, so like, so we got rid of two of those languages and now it's just all Kotlin. Um, so it, it, you should, but you can think about the update loop is very similar to what's going on, um, with, with, uh, with Viewbinding. Um, so I think that that's a uh, pretty, uh, um, that's a, that, that's a pretty apt analogy uh, for like thinking about how Compose works under the hood. Um, but Compose uh, doesn't really typically uh, when you're building Compose applications, you don't really have Android views uh, inside of them. You just have these declarative composables uh, that are getting recalled in response to your your UI state changing. Okay, oh, that's actually really interesting. Um, I didn't think about it like that because I mean I, I get the the kind of the pattern where you kind of just have this observable. Um, and this observable will kind of like change it. But I was just thinking like, a lot of people are already using Android, uh, I don't know, view binding, I keep saying <laughs> Android binding. Um, I don't know yeah. why I keep saying that. Um, but yeah, yeah. like um, a lot of people are already using view binding. So I think that mental shift also um, might be a little bit different for um, mm -hmm. for a certain amount of people. Um, and mm -hmm. even thinking about Compose itself, um, something that I wanted to ask you is, is around um, the learning curve. Like what, what do you feel the learning curve is gonna be like for Compose? Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, this is also I think Compose using a lot more advanced features um, of of Kotlin itself um, mm -hmm. to actually be able to get this declarative and reactive um, type uh, model of development. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think? Do you think there's going to be quite a steep learning curve for a lot of people to to start utilizing um, the Compose um, uh, framework, or do you think it's going to be just the situation where? Um, a lot of people will just be able to jump in it quite easily, um, just kind of like seeing it, um, seeing how it works, um, looking at um, what other people have created and looking at the samples, um, documentation, all of that. So I think there's like there's there's two answers here. Um, so we we have we have good reason to to believe uh, that learning compose uh, from scratch uh, should be a, a relatively simple process. Like kind of like the hello world of a compose application is 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 quite a bit simpler than the hello world of an Android application. Um, and then as you as you continue building, you know, your screen, Compose kind of like ramps up relatively naturally. There's a couple of big learning areas that you have to handle. Um, so like if you're, if you're just drawing to the screen when you first start learning, uh, things are pretty simple. Then all of a sudden you're going to have to introduce memory or state to a function. So that's a big, a big learning step that I think everyone's going to have to go through. Um, we all had to go through it ourselves as we were like preparing the, the educational material for Compose. Um, and then uh, as you, as you keep going, eventually you're going to get to a point where like you start needing to like interact with architectural classes because you're screen gets complex enough you need to like pull out a view model you need to like add a room database and all of that stuff um and that's going to be another big you know kind of learning point that people are going to have to like uh learn with compose um and then as you're going if you're like first learning android um we expect uh that you're just going to learn the new ui toolkit the way that you know all of us learned the old ui toolkit uh which is just like one piece at a time like i want to find a tab i find a tab and you know move on um and we, we've done some studies that that demonstrate that this is probably uh probably accurate um and we're gonna of course keep doing more um then on the other hand, if you're uh, someone who's been writing tons of custom views in the UI toolkit, like yourself, um, <laughs> there is if uh, if you kind of like expect uh, the exact same like level, um, there is going to be a bit of a learning curve, right? So to to get to like where you were in the UI toolkit took quite a bit of of learning, um, and uh, you know you you should kind of think that there will be to get to that exact same level and compose there will be a bit of learning going on, um, and this is where a lot of the the Devrel resources are something that we're working very heavily on right now um, because uh, we we want to like 
you know, help people come along this, this learning barrier um, and make sure that it's not a barrier and, and, and help them like use the new UI toolkit. Um, so uh, this is something that like a lot of us in DevRel have actually been poking around at Compose since like the very beginning of this year um, and, and building samples and exploring and like trying to try to figure out this new system uh, so that we can write documentation uh, uh, that, you know, hopefully can help people go through a faster learning curve than we did, actually. Um, so we have uh, with uh, Alpha release, we we launched a whole bunch of code labs. We launched a layout state. Uh, we launched a theming code lab. We launched an interrupt code lab. And we have the Compose Basics Code Lab that um, has been out for about a year now, and it got updated as well. Um, so there's a lot of new, like, kind of guided hands-on material uh, for even just at the alpha release here for getting up to speed with the Compose Basics and understanding how to, like, interact with Compose in an application. Um, and then we also have started building out uh, new documentation. One of my favorite documentation pages is this Thinking in Compose page uh, that we just uh, we just launched uh, that kind of, like, walks through the mental model of what uh, what you should be thinking about as you're writing a composable function and helps like get get over some of the uh, the can I do this can I do this can I do this uh, that you you first have when you start playing with compose like system uh, and uh, you know kind of gives you some guidelines to to understand like which where to where to direct your energies as you're exploring compose uh, and we're gonna have more documentation coming out um, over the next couple of weeks uh, as well uh, one of the documents that uh, hasn't hasn't didn't quite make it to the goal line for uh, alpha is a, a new state document that talks about how to interact with state in uh, jetpack compose. Um, so there's going to be a lot of new documentation, uh, and then we're going to continue with that all the way through uh, to 1.0. Obviously, we're going to add more and more documentation um, with the with the goal of of being educational and and helping people learn this new system uh, and getting up to speed and uh, and being able to be you know highly proficient and get to the point that they feel like they can build custom layouts and custom views um, as as fast as they can. Um, uh, so I would also like share with with the listeners, you know, if you're if you're you know, reading our educational material and you have feedback on it, um, please reach out to someone in DevRel and like, let us know. Um, there's a lot of us that, uh, that do work on this material and really want to make sure that it's high quality and, and is working for you. So let us know uh, if we can do something better or if there's something we've missed that you think that like we should have in there um, so that we can we can build high quality educational material uh, to help people, you know, ramp up and compose and, and become, you know, experts at it as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I think I think something that I found really really helpful was um, I think it was called the pathway, um, mm -hmm. where um, there was uh, on the on the compose site um, there's like this pathway where it kind of like has some articles, it has some videos, it has the code mm -hmm. labs. Um, I thought that was quite nice because it kind of guided me um, throughout the process of of doing it from how to do something very simple to to how to get to a point where um, I could actually write some. Um, pretty pretty advanced um, screens with Compose and kind of just gave you that learning curve. So that's something that's really, really great um, mm -hmm. that you guys put out. So thanks for that. Um, mm -hmm. That was really, really cool. And, but I mean, uh, so I think I think for the listeners, we'll definitely link a lot of the, the documentation, um, the code labs and stuff um, below. Um, but with the, people will please just um, definitely have to check it out. Um, and yeah, um, obviously get in contact with you um, or dev, uh, other DevRel peeps um, if they have any suggestions and stuff um, around that. Um, and then, like, um, well, one of the things that I was just thinking about um, is testing. So mm -hmm. testing these views, um, instrumentation tests, um, something that probably a lot of people don't do. Um, 
uh, these days. The, I think a lot of people write unit tests, but not a lot of people actually do instrumentation tests. And now we have this new um, framework um, tool, toolkit for um, for UI. Um, does Expresso just work out of the box with Compose? Um, does do we just like import it, import it as it is, um, and we can kind of still write the same tests, or are there like new ways of writing um, UI tests now um, with Compose? Yeah, so the, uh, so we with the new toolkit, we introduced a new uh, a new testing system uh, that uh, is is kind of integrated with Compose, and it actually it's a little different than Espresso. Um, so Espresso fundamentally works by um, if you look at most Espresso tests, uh, they basically use view IDs to do view lookups, and then they they call assertions on those views. Um, so that's like the, the the typical Espresso test. And you can get a little bit more fancy than that, depending on what you're doing, if you have like a list or something like that. But that's kind of the common case for Espresso. Um, with Compose, we, we wanted to kind of uh, bring together accessibility and testing at the same time. Uh, so Compose actually uses the, the semantic system, uh, which is the accessibility system for Compose. Uh, so what you do when you want to click a button is you say, find the button that has actually this accessibility label uh, like this, uh, and then you can click on it. Uh, so it actually kind of like merges the two systems together in like a really interesting way that we hope will uh, improve uh, the accessibility of applications um, and also uh, create a nice robust testing system. Uh, with Alpha, it's, it's a little bit of a, I would say, work in progress. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff left to build uh, between here and 1.0, um, but it, there's enough in there to start poking at it and and giving it giving it a try and start providing feedback. Uh, so, which is a, a big reason that we put things out there for Alpha. Um, then I would also say the the other side to this, we also introduced this new observable type, uh, mutable state of and, and uh, state uh, t. Uh, both of these observable types, uh, we are actively looking at the testing story for these observable types. Uh, and that's something that I expect over the next couple of months, we'll start seeing some APIs for how do I actually test this when like an asynchronous write happens. And these sort of like common test cases that you need to write for a view model. Um, yeah, I think that, that that pretty much answers the testing story. Um, there's new APIs. Uh, you should go check them out and give them a try. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I, I really like that um, you're kind of um, thinking of accessibility as a forefront for this already, because I think I think that's something that um, I think a lot of people sometimes don't always add to their applications from the beginning. Um, and I think if, you, if you're kind of looking at um, writing some UI tests um, and now you kind of have this kind of looking at this um, the system of accessibility um, it kind of just puts it almost at the forefront of the way you're going to develop your your application and, and the way you're going to test your application um, which is really really cool because that was actually going to be my next question like how does accessibility work um, within compose um, does it still use kind of like the talkback um, method um, I think it's called talkback um, mm -hmm. and yeah. Um, does does it kind of still use that that same kind of system um, in order for um, for people that are um, that that have um, disabilities or any of that um, to be able to to utilize um, composable UI and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, accessibility is hugely important to us, uh, and it's something that I think that is absolutely required for a UI toolkit from the Android team uh, to just like like do a really good job in the access, uh, accessibility story. Um, the uh, the way accessibility works in Compose is there's this thing called uh, semantic nodes, uh, semantics 
knows uh, to enunciate that. Uh, so what happens is when you add a button to the screen, it also creates, a, like through the button composable, uh, it also creates a semantics node, uh, which is kind of this separate tree of, of other things that are called semantics nodes uh, that is able to describe, hey, there's a button here. It has this text here. Uh, and then the accessibility subsystem is able to interact with that. Um, and uh, if you haven't tested using TalkBack before, uh, I definitely highly recommend uh, checking out um, checking out TalkBack and, and playing with it in your application uh, and trying to navigate, you know, a screen in your application using uh, using TalkBack. It's a it's a really it's a it's a good experience, uh, and you'll probably find some missing content descriptions that should definitely be there, uh, and find ways to uh, to improve your application. Um, also, I would mention on accessibility and existing Android apps, uh, we have this accessibility scanner um, that I also highly recommend people check out on their current screens. Uh, it'll give you warnings and errors for different accessibility problems like low contrast, uh, missing content descriptions that really should be there. Uh, you know, buttons that are actually too small for people to reliably hit, uh, which is both important for accessibility for people who have trouble touching buttons, uh, but also it's hard for everyone to touch buttons. So uh, that one's yeah. like a really, really easy one for, uh, for to motivate fixing. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the, the, the answer on accessibility. Um, and then there's more to come. Uh, so if, you, if you're seeing weird things with accessibility right now, um, we're at alpha, uh, please, please, please let us know so that we can get that fixed before it's stable. Okay, cool. And I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, we've been chatting about, we've been chatting about um, Compose and um, it's in alpha. Um, it was in development for, for a bit of time since IO last year. Um, and now it's in alpha, which is really exciting. Um, but should we, should we be using it in our applications in production? Um, or should we kind of um, maybe be waiting? I know this is maybe a controversial question. <laughs> Some people will be like, you should never use alpha software um, in a production application. Other people are like, eh, I'll just use it. It's okay. If it breaks, I'll fix it. Um, but I mean, if, um, should we be using it right now? Should we kind of be waiting for when it hits beta uh, maybe? Um, or, um, and can we actually, I mean, I, I haven't tried obviously because I just started using Compose like, I don't know, a few days ago, but can you actually upload um, apps to the app store that have Compose in it? Um, I don't know if you can, I've never tried it or seen um, anybody mm -hmm. post about it, but can you actually just, can you add Compose to your to your um, application and actually will Google Play like reject your application because there's Compose in it or something? I don't know. Um, well, what's kind of what's kind of your advice on on the compose in compose land at the moment? So the the, the 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 simple question there is: Is it production ready? Um, and the the answer mm -hmm. is maybe, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> um, so I, I would say um, okay. So let, let let me give a more real answer there. Um, so right now we're at alpha, and we expect to change large parts of the API. Uh, we also expect to do major performance changes between now and 1.0, um, and we uh, we might just like you know we might find cause to like uh, deprecate you know portions of the API that are currently in alpha uh, as we explore. People give us feedback. Um, it's very much uh, you should really think about the whole thing as an experimental API at this point, as well as an experimental runtime. Um, I would also say like we're still kind of running into like maybe compiler bugs a little bit more often than I would 
you know, I would be comfortable with in production. Uh, but that's a, there's nothing stopping you from putting this in production. Um, so there's, there's no reason uh, you couldn't put this on like some little like, you know, hidden screen over in the far corners of your application. Um, and, and that's like, that's totally okay. You could also, depending on your risk profile, if you want to rewrite your app all the time as the APIs change, you can put it all over through <laughs> your entire application. Um, it's really, I think this question really comes down to what people's risk profiles are um, and like what they're actually trying to accomplish. Um, uh, personally, uh, I can answer for myself. Uh, if I were running like a, a very uh, important application, like a banking application or something where people have a lot of you know trust required for that application, um, I would hold off until until one point out. Um, but if I were making a little you know small application and I was just poking around with things, uh, maybe I would start using it and playing with it today. So it's gonna it depends on I think a lot on what what you're trying to do with your application and what your interests in you know are what your motivations are. Um, uh, to quote Leland on this one, I think that uh, what we aim for with Alpha is we've built enough stuff that you can actually build something interesting. Um, but you might want to like you know play with it, but you might not want to actually put it in your production application at this point. Okay, yeah, because I think I think um, there's there's probably still a lot to learn around Compose. Also, um, like you said, there's going to be a lot more APIs that are going to be coming. Stuff could get deprecated. Um, you don't kind of want something where um, the material button changes in Compose, and that's the thing that says pay um, on your banking <laughs> application, and, and you can't pay anybody, and people start screaming at you um, and writing one-star reviews. You don't want that. Um, right. So I think, <laughs> so I think, I think um, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's really, really cool. There's a lot to learn. Um, and I think I think definitely playing around with it, because I, th I thought it was really, really interesting um, playing with um, building Android apps for so long and all of a sudden like there's this new system. Um, and I think a lot of um, toolkits are moving towards the system. So it's going to make it easier um, um, in the future for using other systems even. Um, but I mean, I think I think it's really, really great. Um, it's really, really great. And I really enjoyed playing with it, even for a few days. I'm definitely going to keep playing with it um, and hopefully be able to give um, some useful feedback at some point, um, which is really, really cool. But yeah, um, I think we've chatted about a lot of things. Um, I don't I don't even know if I've missed anything. I feel about like I've pretty much picked your brain apart about Compose. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you feel that we should maybe be mentioned to the listeners um, out there, um, maybe something that we, we forgot about um, or you think that's really, really important right now for our listeners? Um, yeah, so I think like if you're, uh, I, I just wanted to mention real quick, we made a whole bunch of samples uh, with the alpha launch. So if you're looking for uh, some some more concrete uh, use cases uh, of of using Compose, uh, these samples focused heavily on the UI parts of Compose. Uh, so all of the material samples are focused on like how do you do various things with material design um, and the Compose toolkit. Um, and then we also have a bit more of an architectural sample, Jet News, uh, which shows how to interact with uh, at the, uh, at this point, it uh, currently shows how to interact with repositories, and then over time, we're going to be making it interact with view models and live data as well. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, really interesting material in the samples uh, to take a look at, be inspired by, uh, and kind of go play around with Compose. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I think the samples have been great. Um, I think there's also quite a few YouTube videos that have come out, um, which is mm -hmm. really cool. And like I said, the pathway that um, that I went through, which was which was really really nice. So I'll definitely link. Um, a lot of this um, below in the show notes. So if anybody wants to go and like check that out, um, they can definitely do that. Um, and then also maybe um, uh, your your social media details. So if people want to kind of maybe just um, get in touch with you around giving feedback um, around Compose, mm -hmm. um, maybe you can tell them what your details are. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you want to, if you want to reach out to me, I'm object code, O B J C O D E, uh, which stands for object code, uh, which is the assembly <laughs> language, uh, output, uh, for, uh, uh, or sorry, the compiler output language. Um, so yeah, uh, you can reach out to me there. Um, my DMS are open, uh, so you can just message me, um, or just tweet at me and I'll, uh, I'll take a look at it. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, this has been amazing. Um, thanks for letting me just kind of ask you a whole bunch of ob questions um, from someone that <laughs> pretty much has like four days of experience of <laughs> like just training with everything. Um, this has been really, really awesome. I'm sure our listeners will um, appreciate it. And hopefully um, when Compose hits 1.0, maybe we can have you back um, and we can pretty much discuss um, the changes from, from what we have now to what we can um, hopefully be using in production at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me today. It was so, uh, so much fun. Um, and I really enjoyed chatting about Compose today. Um, and I look forward to seeing what everyone plays with, uh, like what sort of trials they have as they play around with and try out Compose. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ron. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Talking With Apple's podcast. Cheers.